Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all out this morning. Sunday, the 20th of June, who could believe it? And it's good to have you all with us this morning. If you're visiting with us, you are very welcome today to know your good friends of uh, Mark here. And I know you keep an eye on them, so that's an even better thing to do. So you're very welcome back to First Rath Island as well. And indeed, if you're watching online, be it via our church app, Facebook Live, or later on, if you're listening via our CD ministry, you too are welcome. We trust and pray that you enjoy our time of service and worship together. And it is good to have Mark back with us. We're not going to welcome you back, Mark, but we know you're a regular now. You're part of the family. It's good to see you back again, Mark. And uh, it's good to have you amongst us. You know you have a bit of a speaking schedule now lined up over the course of the next few months. But that's good. And some other exciting projects as well, which we'll be able to inform the congregation later on about. So uh, we look forward to hearing uh, what God has laid upon your heart for each of us today, Mark. So God bless. I think it's good on your behalf as well as a congregation to say it. It's good to have the live music back. I might have admitted to say it the last day here as part of our children's day, but it's good to have Margaret back at the piano, folks. And thanks to Margaret, and we appreciate all the effort you're doing there, Margaret, so thank you. The youth service will be online this afternoon at 5.30 p.m., and that's online via YouTube. And even though it's entitled Youth Service, the topics are always very, indeed, very topical and very good, so I'd encourage you. Uh, to tune into the youth service at 5.30. It is online on YouTube. And today's speaker is Alan Hanna uh, from the mornings as well. And he's part of a team that Mark brought here uh, to First Rothschild many, many times. So I'd encourage you just to log on there and to support the work of the youth service team. Just a reminder as well that Wednesday evening is the online prayer meeting and David Hanna facilitates that. And uh, the code is readily available. So if you'd like the code for that, you can find it on our Facebook page each Wednesday morning. It'll be, it'll be live there. And if you're not accessible to Facebook or anything like that, uh, ping me a message and we'll get you the code uh, for the online prayer meeting. And a reminder as well that the Sunday morning prayer meetings is at 11 o'clock each Sunday morning in the church hall. And that's facilitated and looked after and managed and organized by both our, our elders Murray and George. Just a bit of an update in relation to uh, the COVID-19 restrictions. The moderator and clerk of the General Assembly issued more guidance this week. And they really did insist that we remind uh, all of our congregations the necessity to continue to wear our face masks unless uh, maybe medical grounds you're, you don't have to. But uh, it is mandatory to continue to wear the face mask inside the church building. And also they insisted that we remind each other of the need to continue to socially distance uh, in order that we can uh, keep the virus at bay, but also to try and keep our church services and our church buildings open for public worship. So I ask you to uh, continue to support us as we try to do our bit uh, with COVID-19 restrictions. Also, just an update by way of um, the vacancy here in First Rathfrayland. We had our first session meeting on Tuesday evening past with the Reverend Colin Harris. Uh, so that went really well. Uh, there be, as you'd understand, there'd be very little happening over the course of the summer months. Uh, and so our next session meeting will be scheduled for August. Uh, and it's at that point we'll be completing the paperwork, which will be submitted to uh, the Linkages Committee. And then thereafter that we'll 
be seeking approval and permission uh, to uh, make a call out to, uh, for our vacancy. So we will keep you updated on that. I think it's important that we keep updating you as a congregation on what's happening in light of the vacancy. And as we speak of the vacancy, it's a delight and a pleasure to record and to announce this morning that our former minister, the Reverend Boyd, has indeed uh, accepted a call to the congregations of Tobermore and Draperstown Presbyterian Churches. And I think that's just great news for Trevor. We're going to call him Trevor. Uh, when you consider three weeks ago, we had his farewell service. I think that's excellent news indeed. And on all of our behalfs, we would like to extend our best wishes and every blessing to, to Trevor, to Barbara, and the, all of the Boyd family circle as they progress and move on to the next ministry in the congregations of Tobermore and Draperstown. And just ask and encourage uh, you all to think about the, the session uh, on our vacancy convener as we too regroup again and we continue in the vacancy. It is challenging, uh, and challenging times and we as a congregation, uh, it'll be good for each of us to unite with one another and to rebuild and to regrow with one another as, as we continue to assist the ministry here and sharing God's work, and not only amongst the congregation, but also in this local community. The next one, Sunday morning service, the 27th of June, will be led and conducted by Mr. David Allen. These, I think, are all announcements this morning, Mark. Sorry about that. I did try to keep it short on your sermon, but uh, these are all announcements, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us, Mark. Thank you. Well, thank you, David, and good morning to everyone in our worship service and uh, in the church and online. And it is a privilege to be back here this morning to study God's Word together. And I have to say thank you for the last time, in this church at least, to the Reverend Trevor Boyd. He may not be with us as our minister anymore, but it was him who organized this service a while ago. And so I want to thank him again for the opportunity. But as we come to worship God this morning, we turn to the words of Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. These words will become a little more appropriate later on in our service as we study God's word together. But as we come into the house of God, they remind us of the importance of our attitude as we come to worship our creator. As you will know from recently studying through this book of Ecclesiastes, it speaks much about the vanity of living without our God as master of our lives. And many of us have spent years dwelling in that vanity, but now we have come to know the wonderful message of Calvary, where mercy was shown in such a mighty way, where grace was poured out and from which salvation was made possible. And with that in mind, let us stand and worship God as we sing the words of our opening praise. Years I spent in vanity and pride.
Let us come before God in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you in the meeting house this morning, we thank and praise you for what we have just been singing about, the wonderful message of Calvary, the message that your Son has come into the world to pay a price that no other could pay, to give his life a ransom for many. We thank you, God and Father, for bringing many of us out of that vanity and out of our pride, for calling us out of a life of sin and self to a life of obedience and faith to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ. Father, it truly is a message of ultimate love, of mercy, of grace, of pardon, a message that alone can bring us liberty and lasting joy. We thank you, Father God, for the cross of our Saviour Christ. Father, as we consider the seriousness of entering your house for worship, and as we remember the sacrifice of the cross, we ask that you might give us ears to listen and hearts to be moulded by your word. Give us a teachable spirit and a sincere love for you, a dedication to true and unwavering repentance. Let us not repay this grace and mercy with half-hearted worship and lukewarm love, but instead let us pray and praise thee without ceasing. As we come now to worship you in church, and as many join us online and on social media, we pray that you will clear our mind of distractions. Let us forget all else as we meet in your name, for we are here to listen to your word. We are here to learn from it, to be encouraged and challenged as we face a new week in a world that knows not its creator. So, Father, strengthen your flock in this place this morning. May your presence be felt by each person, and may your spirit guide and direct us as we open your word together. Father, still our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, as we come now, and we ask all these things in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our Bible reading this morning is found in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it up there at chapter 5, or you can follow along on the screen as we read from God's Word. Acts 5, beginning at verse 1. This is God's Word. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard about these events. Amen. And we trust that God will add his own blessing to his word. Boys and girls, Last year, when many of us were forced to stay at home, there were lots of people, or lots of time, rather, to try new things. Some of people maybe learned new instruments. Some people got new hobbies, and they discovered new hobbies, and I was one of those people. I have a new hobby now, 
something that I used to like in small doses, but now I absolutely love it. And that's gardening, believe it or not. And there was one thing in particular that I really, really wanted to grow. There was something that I wanted to plant in the ground and see what it would turn out like. And the thing that I wanted to grow was a chestnut tree. And it comes from a little thing like this, a conker. Now, I have to go and find some conkers if I'm going to plant a conker in the, in the ground. So I went and I, I searched the grounds around uh, Kilkeel for some conkers and I got them and I brought them home and I started the whole process. First, I had to, to separate the good ones from the bad ones and the way we do that is we, we get a glass of water and we drop it in and if it floats, it's bad because it's hollow, there's nothing in it. But if it sinks, then it's full and there's potential for it to grow and to become a tree. And so I got all the good ones together and when enough time had passed they were put into pots with soil and some compost and weeks went by and there wasn't a sign of anything coming up through the soil. There was no sign of any roots going down into the ground at all. Until one day as I was looking out through the window I noticed one of the pots that the conkers was in it was sitting slightly off. So I went down to look at it and I lifted it up and I looked at the bottom of it and I seen none other than a root coming out of the bottom of it. There was a tiny root just at the bottom so I had to get it out of the small pot that I had it in and put it in a bigger one to give it space to grow it needed the right conditions and within a few days at the very end of April there was a tiny little shoot coming above the ground and boys and girls I have it with me this morning to show you what it's like now and I don't want to mess the place up so I'll put a wee bit of something down there hopefully it won't slide but this is what it looks like now just after just after six or seven weeks of growing and it already looks like a tree I think it looks absolutely amazing and I'm so proud that we actually got one to grow out of all that we planted but it got me thinking if this is even though it's a, a tiny little tree at the minute it can become a massive tree if it's cared for if it's looked after if it's nurtured and given the right soil and the nutrients and it's watered and it's placed in the right place with the sun it can become a mighty tree and it got me thinking that when we are called to come to Jesus, when we become Christians, we need the right conditions to grow as well. Now, obviously, we don't need to be planted in the soil, but we're still called to grow and to mature and to grow deeper in our relationship with God in Christ Jesus. So I wonder what are the right conditions for us to grow as Christians? Well, when God plants the seed of faith in our hearts, we start to grow right away. Because God, the Father, gives us what we need to grow. We are fed and we are watered, believe it or not. We're fed in God's word, the Bible. We learn more about him. We grow stronger in our faith. And we're told in the Bible that if we follow Jesus, then we will never thirst again. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have to have a drink again. But it does mean that we're finally satisfied with Jesus as our Savior. So, we also need to have our relationship. We need to pray to God the Father, asking him to help us grow each day, to give us the right conditions, to blossom for him. And boys and girls, sometimes we might even need pruned. When we think of a, a plant or a tree, sometimes things don't go quite right. Sometimes it might be dead or dying or have a disease. And some leaves or some branches might need to be cut off and threw away to save the tree, to save the plant, and it helps it grow mightier and stronger and bear more fruit and sometimes we do need to be pruned by God and sometimes we are and it's a good thing even though sometimes it is painful 
if we're stuck in sin and we're being dragged down by it, we need to get rid of it because it can stunt our growth. It might even stop us growing. Sometimes things may happen in our lives that we get angry at God at. We're annoyed at him because they're bad things that are happening to us. But little do we know that God is pruning us and he's shaping us to be great men and women of the faith with roots stretching deep into God's word. Boys and girls, the conqueror is a very small thing, but it grows into something absolutely massive. But a conqueror is actually quite big compared to what some things grow from. Like this. Now this is a necklace, it's not mine. But inside this necklace is a tiny little seed. You can, there's no way you could see it because I can hardly see it and it's in my hands. But this seed is a mustard seed. And the Bible mentions that specifically. And it says that if you have faith as small as this mustard seed, then mountains can move. So boys and girls, if the Holy Spirit has planted a seed in your heart, then nurture it. Take care of it. Help it to grow by reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, and strengthening your relationship with Jesus. So that one day your faith might grow so much that you could be transformed into bringing a mighty harvest forward for our God. Boys and girls and older people, I hope you're as proud as that tree. I hope you're as proud of that tree as I am. But let's come before God in a word of prayer as we bring him our prayers of thanks and intercession. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence again in prayer, we come in acknowledgement that you are indeed a holy and merciful God, a mighty stronghold and refuge, who in every age and at every time has shown his grace and mercy to multitudes. We come knowing full well that we are unworthy to be in your presence, but because of the mighty gulf that you did span at Calvary, we can boldly approach your throne in awe and in wonder. Father, we have so much to give you thanks for, and we thank you for our ministers. We may be without a minister here in First Refrain today, but we know that in your own good and perfect time, it will come to pass. But today we want to thank you for the service of the Reverend Boyd, and we are so thankful for his ministry to us over the years. But as we hear of his call now to Tobermore and Draperstown, we pray for him and leave his ministry before you. Father, be with Trevor and Barbara as they turn their attention to those congregations and be in the midst of all the planning and the preparation Give them both time of rest and refreshment before they begin their time there. We thank you for the Reverend Burke in second and third, and now as he takes on Brookfield Presbyterian. We thank you for his installation there on Friday evening and pray that you may bless all the congregations there through his faithful ministry. We lift up before you also our convener, the Reverend Colin Harris, and we thank you for giving us such a faithful man of God and ask that you will be his guide and his strength as he takes on the extra workload. But we trust in your good grace we will be able to thrive in his role. Father, too, we know this is a difficult time for those who are ill in our town and our congregation. And for those who are awaiting results from tests or awaiting surgery, there are also those who are sick at home and in need of, in, in need of your healing. And so we pray for them all. We know that you are God who answers prayer, so let our prayers be worthy of answering and heal those who are in need. Father, too, as much as ever in our own church, we need men and women to step forward into leadership roles. And so we pray for volunteers to come forward into the appropriate areas. We bring our leaders before you, our elders. Give them encouragement as they run the church. 
to take on more work, help them pastor the church through this period ahead. We pray for other congregations and ourselves as well who are planning for outreach and different activities over the summer months. We pray everything will be done safely and without breach of restrictions. Father, we long to get out and evangelize and bring the good news to as many as we can, but it's so difficult in the minute. So help us come up with ways that we can spread the news of the gospel without fear of doing wrong or bringing anything other than glory to your name. As we think of Union Theological College in Belfast, we pray for roles to be filled there too. Many of the staff are taking on new roles and some have retired or are retiring soon. And so we ask that those positions, especially in teaching roles, will be filled by men who believe the truth of your word and who will teach it without fear of ridicule from anyone. We bring our land before you and our government at Stormont. As bystanders who vote, we love to come up with solutions in our heads about what should take place and who should replace who, but ultimately it makes little difference. For you are the almighty God who sets up kingdoms and who causes empires to fall at your will. And so we pray, knowing that you know that all will come to pass and ask that you will heal our land, not by politics or by faithfulness to any other cause other than the name of Jesus Christ. May you heal this land in a way that it needs healed more than any other way, by washing it clean in the blood of the Lamb. Bring the gospel into every home in this land and bring glory and honor to your name and your name alone. Bring all these things before you, knowing that if it be your will, you will answer our pleas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, was once approached by a man and his wife in his congregation who, who attended his church. And they told Spurgeon they were leaving and they were going in search of the perfect church. Spurgeon, rather bluntly but with a certain amount of wit, turned and responded, go, find it. But when you do, don't join it. You'll only ruin it. Of course, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Some may get closer than others, but still there is no truly perfect church. Yet when we read the opening chapters of Acts, we might be fooled into thinking that it is possible. After all, up until this point in the book, it's almost been a fairy tale start. There has been ups and downs already, but the church is growing. Thousands are being added to the fellowship. The apostles themselves are unashamedly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are performing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many people are selling all their possessions and giving it to the apostles for the use of their ministry and giving it to the needy. It's all going so well. But then as we come to chapter 5 and verse 1, we see the reality of it all. We meet Ananias and Sapphira and we see their premeditated devilish deceit. And as I've just mentioned there, many of the believers were indeed selling much of what they had and laying it before the apostles. And one such example comes in the chapter before. A, name, a man by the name of Barnabas. His name meaning son of encouragement. And of course that's very appropriate because his charity and his willingness to give would have been a huge encouragement to the apostles and, and to the people. It would have also brought attention to him. He would have received high praise among his peers and among the fellowship of believers. And perhaps that was in the minds of Ananias and Sapphira. Perhaps that's the motive behind their actions in chapter 5. Maybe they also want attention and praise. Maybe they want all the adulation. And so they come up with a con. 
a cunning and a deceitful plan to sell a piece of property and maybe even publicly, publicly announce that they would give all the proceeds to the apostles but then secretly keep some back for themselves. It's hypocrisy. It's a stone-cold lie. But they confidently approach the apostles anyway. And that's where we join the story at verse 1. But from this passage, from these 11 verses, I want to suggest that we can learn three things. Three things about our God. Firstly, we learn something of the holiness of God and the holiness that he expects from us, especially in our service and in our worship. We learn something of the wrath of God. That's quite obvious. And believe it or not, we learn something too about the mercy of our God. So holiness, wrath, and mercy. First, holiness then, and the proper way to worship. Any person who reads the Bible will be able to tell you that God's holy. We don't get too far into it before it's presented very clearly. And many of us here might be thinking of uh, chapters like Isaiah 6 or Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Even in many of our hymns, we love to sing of how our God is a holy God. But it's much more uncommon for us to admit to admit that God requires holiness in his people, the church. Hebrews 12 says to us, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. First Peter tells us, you shall be holy for I am holy. So it's a requirement. It's a must. If we are to be called sons and daughters of God, we must live holy lives. We have to understand, says Philip Reichen, that whenever we go to worship we entered into the presence of a holy God who has gathered his holy people to hear his holy word. If we take this for granted, not listening to what God says, then the Bible tells us we are guilty of a great evil. And that's bad news for us. Because every Sunday when we enter into the place of worship, we truly do enter into the presence of a holy God. How often do we as Christians forget that? Ananias and Sapphira definitely didn't understand that the way they should. And remember, these two are people who were part of the church. They were part of the fellowship of believers. We don't know for sure, but they were probably saved. And yet, as we see, they're still punished for their sinful deeds. Did they want to be acclaimed like Barnabas? After all, there are many who live for the applause of people. Some want to be on the inside with the leaders. Some just want to be admired by members of the church. So we're just as susceptible to this sin today. Wanting praise and adulation more than we want to give praise and worship to our God. Ananias and Sapphira are just an example. A classic example of hypocrisy among Christians who fake their spirituality to impress others. They were willing to put first the temporary security of money and willing to sacrifice their own eternal security. They were distrustful of God and his providence. They were liars. They were hypocrites. They were covetous, not just of money, but of attention, of praise, of prestige. They were thieves. After all, they had promised the full amount to the apostles, only to hold back some for themselves. There is an unwillingness to hand everything over to God. But they're not alone, are they? How many of us fail to give everything over to God? Not just in money terms or in charity, but in all aspects of life and worship. How much do we see this in our churches today? Far too much. Each of us, I'm sure, could write a very long list of people who we see as clearly holding back from God, who we see as offering improper worship, who we see as being more unholy than holy. But in truth, we might even consider placing ourselves on that list. 
After all, how many times have we come to worship services and closed all but our eyes? Our eyes are open, but our ears are shut. Our hearts and our minds wander somewhere different altogether. Yes, we put our money in the collection plate, but we do it begrudgingly. We hold back. Sometimes we might even be checking the person next to us as seeing what we're putting in. We can be a far from holy and separate people. Is it any wonder at times so many people outside the church love to call us hypocrites? It's a far, far stretch from holiness. But when Ananias comes before the apostle, thinking that he's getting away with it, bringing only part of the money, imagine his surprise at Peter's words to him. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You see, Ananias didn't need to sell his property at all. He could have kept it for himself. That would have been fine. Or he could have sold the lot and given everything to the apostles. That would have been even better. Even if he had kept back some of the proceeds for himself, that would have been acceptable. The problem was the deceitfulness, the hypocrisy, the lies. Not just to men, but to God. I've forgotten the words of Ecclesiastes 5 that we read at the start. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools, so fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Ananias did not fulfill his vow. What Peter says to us with his words here shows us the reality of God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit within the church. He's with us, indwelling in each believer. 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us that. It teaches us that as Christians we are God's temples and God's Spirit dwells in us. So even though Ananias was trying to deceive the community of believers, he was actually trying to deceive the Holy Spirit, lying to God himself. This is a a serious sin, as are all forms of sin. But to use religious acts to gain a worldly recognition is not just a game. It's not just an action with no consequence. It's a lie told to God in the person of the Spirit. Believers, we are not to take our religious acts or our promises lightly, for God does not take them lightly. They are to be holy and acceptable unto him. Everything in our worship and in our lives, we are to be true and faithful in all that we do to the glory of God. We are to give him everything. I wonder, as we were singing our first hymn, how many of you picked up on the third verse and the words in the third verse? Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. The problem is, if we haven't done that, if we're holding back, then even singing that verse of that song is improper worship. God requires holiness in our giving, in our worship, and in our lives. He requires the full amount. He demands our soul, our life, and our all. God is holy, and he requires holiness and proper worship from his people. Secondly, then, we see the wrath of God, and this time it's a lot more obvious. Ananias walks in to the apostles, and upon hearing Peter rebuke him and realizing his own sinful deeds, he's carried out. He falls down dead immediately in a severe act of judgment. Then, three hours later, his wife suffers exactly the same fate, falling down dead at the apostles' feet. Interestingly, 
the very place where the offering was laid. It's no coincidence. It's punishment. It is God's wrath. And in this is the problem. We have a holy God. And because he is holy, he must punish sin. He punishes all who are found to be not holy, of which we all are by our very nature guilty. People don't like to think of that. They don't like to talk about a God of wrath. They prefer to talk about a God that is all love, all grace, all mercy and nothing else. John MacArthur writes that as a church, we have lost the reality of God's wrath. We have disregarded his hatred for sin. The God most evangelicals now describe as an all-loving God and not at all angry. We have forgotten that, as Hebrews says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The church in Acts 5, after seeing the wrath of God in the death of Ananias and Sapphira, certainly knew the fear of God. The passage ends by telling us that great fear came upon them. I wonder, did they think, like many people today, that God's wrath was a thing of the past? You know what I mean? You know those people who, who tell us that God is all wrath in the Old Testament and seems to be nothing else, and then he's all love in the New Testament? Well, Acts 5 is telling us different here. God is as much a God of wrath now as he has ever been, just as he is as much a God of love now as he has ever been. For our God is unchanging. But the level of punishment to the level of sin seems almost outrageous, especially when we consider that Ananias and Sapphira may have been believing people. But it shows us that God is not indifferent to our lies, to our sin, to our covetousness or our hypocrisy. It shows us the seriousness of proper worship. And of course God punishes those, if God punishes those in the community of believers in such a way, how much more will he punish those who do not believe and obey the gospel of God? Verse 9 tells us that Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of testing the spirit of the Lord. They had presumed the forbearance of God. They thought upon his mercy too much and they paid the price. How many of us do that on a daily basis? We assume and we conclude that even though we continue in our sin, God will have patience with us. He will have mercy. We almost arrogantly say that he will keep us from any punishment because we aren't as bad as so-and-so. I'm safe. I'll be fine. God wouldn't do that to me. Well, that's wrong. Here's a perfect example that God's mercy only goes so far. His forbearance, his patience with us can most certainly run out. Yes, our God is love. But he has also got wrath against sin. Many times have you heard those who are not saved, atheists even, saying that they can't believe in a God that allows bad things to happen. They want a God who punishes evil, who punishes the wrong in our world. Little do they realize that their desire would be their undoing. Because it's not by our laws that God judges. It is by his laws and by his word their desire for a God that strikes down evildoers would come down on them in the same manner that it did with Ananias and Sapphira. God does punish sin. He will punish sin, but he will do it in his own good and perfect time. We forget at times that there is an eternity for holiness to be rewarded and an equal time for sin to be punished. It's all very sobering when we think about it. We have a holy God who requires us to be holy and a God who punishes sin, of which we are all guilty. 
But in all of that, of course, there is hope, or none of us would be gathered here today. There is, even in Acts 5, a showing of mercy. But the problem is, we need to consider God's wrath before we realize his mercy. And there's really a few ways in which mercy is shown in our 11 verses, but I just want to mention two in the time we have left. Firstly, look at the interaction between Peter and Sapphira. In verses 7 and 8, we see that Sapphira comes in without knowing of her husband's death, and she's effectively asked by Peter very bluntly how much the land was sold for. But of course, she lies, and we all know her fate. But in that question that Peter asks Sapphira, there is mercy. Because Sapphira was given a chance to repent. By asking what the true value of the land was, she was given a chance to tell the truth. And maybe if she had done so, she would have been able to walk out rather than being carried out. There is mercy. God allows, for a time, the opportunity to repent and to confess and to be truthful. Of course, it's the same in our world today for those who have not yet come to Christ as their saviour. God is being patient with them in their worldliness and in their unholiness. He is showing mercy each and every day. There's even mercy in the fact that we're not struck down the way our two deceivers were in this passage because we constantly repay God with lukewarm love after a show of immense love on the cross. We continually offer worship and praise to him that is not acceptable. It's a wonder that we're even given the breath to breathe each moment. But we're to understand this as mercy as we look at Acts 5. God may not leave sin unpunished, but we cannot argue that he does not give us more than ample time to repent and to lead holy lives. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. And there's a second way as well that we see mercy in this passage. Even in the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. How so? Well, just look at verse 11 and the following verses that we didn't read. Because of this judgment, great fear came upon the congregation of believers and all who heard. What happens next? The church flourishes. Great signs and wonders are being performed. Verse 14 says, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You remember the children's address, how the conqueror needed the right conditions to cultivate and to grow. Well, apply that here. God cuts out the bad fruit, prunes the branches so that the church may grow even mightier than before. Our God is cleansing the church, sanctifying them to live in reverential fear and encouraging them to live holier lives. This act of judgment would cause everybody in that church to perform a very thorough self-evaluation. Do you think anybody in that church wanted to be found guilty of being a liar or guilty of being a hypocrite after this? Of course not. It would have motivated them like little else. They would dread the thought of being covetous. They would dread the thought of being anything other than holy. The fear which fell upon the community of believers shows us that they had reason to tremble and to think, as we should also. But it would prevent the increase of false professors. It would prevent false prophets and false teachers and as a result it would honour the true gospel message. And with the true gospel message being preserved multitudes were added to the family of believers. This is just one of the reasons that it is so important to preach not just about a God of love and that's all. Because without 
looking at the wrath of God in this passage, we would never see the mercy in it either. We would never be convicted to preach the truth about him, the truth about his word, the truth about his son. This whole encounter, these 11 verses, is all a call to repent while there is still time. I wonder what would happen if God struck down everyone in our churches that offered improper worship. I don't have to tell you, there probably wouldn't be too many of us left. You see, even though our God is holy, even though he requires holiness from us, even though our God punishes sin by his righteous wrath, he is still, through it all, merciful. Holiness, wrath, and mercy. Where do we see this most? In the life, death, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one, the only one, to live a pure and undefiled life, a holy life. He was the one who faced the wrath of God on the cross. The only person who ever lived that didn't deserve it, yet he was the one who stood in our place. And yet many dare to say, a God that is wrathful cannot be merciful. That is utter nonsense. The greatest display of the wrath of God is the greatest display of his mercy. And in that message is the greatest news ever brought to man. Even with all of our sin that still causes us to stumble. Even with our imperfection. Even with our unsatisfactory worship for it all. Christ died to make us a holy people before a holy God. Truly, mercy there was great and grace was free. For on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. No matter what you do, it matters to God. Because when people do not take seriously the holiness of God, then they make little of his wrath. And when they do that, they devalue the cross on which Jesus Christ traded places with sinners. Acts 5. In Acts 5, God was establishing, right at the very beginning of the church, how seriously he considered the purity of the relationship of his people to himself. And of course it still applies today. It still matters to our God. So let us strive for holiness. Let us be fearful of God in doing so. But all the while knowing that through the cross of Christ we can be made holy and acceptable before our God. Amen. Let's stand to worship God with our final hymn that in Christ alone.
And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be majesty, glory, dominion and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen. So better days are coming, but we're not there yet. We still need to protect people today, mums, neighbours, grandparents. So let's keep saving lives together. Wear a face covering. Meet fewer people. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. And if you get symptoms, then isolate and get tested. We all must do it to get through it.